Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Race Fan Fest was Saturday. What did Charlie Morton have to say about the Astros cheating when he was a member of their World Series team? And Emilio Pagan said that 2019 was the most fun year in baseball he's ever had. He was just glad to be with the same team two years in a row. Then a few hours later, he was traded to San Diego for outfielder Manuel Margot and a minor leaguer. What happened there? And the XFL debuted this weekend. What did you think of the new rules, the interviews, the peek inside the play calling? Yeah, but it was the same old Vipers who lose to the New York Guardians 23-3. The Lightning with a great weekend. Of course, they beat Pittsburgh on Thursday night, then took out the Islanders on Saturday. 18-point streak for Andre Vasilevsky as they win their ninth straight game at home. Can they keep this pace up through the playoffs? We've got all that and more on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer uh, Steve Versnick. Steve we missed you at FanFest, but uh, I'll tell you, we, we had a good chance to talk to a lot of the players, as we always do each and every year. And uh, to be honest with you, the first guy I sat down with was one of our favorites. The first guy we sat down with a year ago, Emilio Pagan. And I was like, hey, this is great. Last time we saw you, you were trying to make the club. They started him, I think, in the minors. Mm-hmm. Came back up. Of course, we you remember when um, uh, you know they needed help uh, in, in the closing role. He ends up with 20 saves, and he was so excited um, to be uh, back with the Rays, of course, he said, you know, um, the, the the neatest thing was that I'm on the same team two years in a row. And then hours, literally hours later, we did this terrific interview with him. And I see where they've traded him to San Diego uh, for outfielder uh, Manuel Margot, who, from what I understand, is a really good defensive outfielder, right? Yeah. Well, I sent you a text and you went, no way. I couldn't believe it. I, I literally, I mean, I'm telling you, I enjoyed this. He's one of the nicest guys, mm-hmm. too. Like, I mean, there's a lot of nice guys in that race clubhouse. But, um, you know, just uh, to, to look at the kind of year he had, you know, traded from Oakland and, um, you know, really, uh, you know, kind of settled their bullpen. Yeah, he pretty much saved the bullpen. I mean, you know, yeah. Alvarado and Castillo got off to great starts. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chaz Rowe really struggled the first half of the season. Yes, he did. Uh, but then about a month in, Alvarado, Alvarado and Castillo started having issues. And yeah. they, they called up Pagan to fill some holes, and, and he ends up taking over the closer role. And, and he's not a prototypical closer, and, and you know he doesn't have that stuff that's going to blow you away. But he settled that bullpen down and, and allowed you know Alvarado took that leave Castillo finally found his stuff later Chaz Rowe was able to find his stuff um they brought up guys like Oliver Drake and Colin Pochet yeah Yeah, Nick Anderson they got at the trade deadline but Mm -hmm. it was really Emilio Pagan who saved that bullpen and kind of steadied it because that bullpen was the it was the one piece we talked about going into last season that that's right you know that was the probably the biggest question mark and in in the first month of the season it looked great and it turns out you were facing a lot of teams that weren't as good as you thought they were Mm-hmm. And then when he started facing the Red Sox and the Yankees and that, they started struggling. And it was Pagan who really kind of settled it down and saved it. When Alvarado went south, um, you know, they were a mess. And they were searching for help. And, and, of course, they did get it with Pagan. After the trade for Nick Anderson, though, they settled into what was really 
um, almost a lights out bullpen. You know, if if you didn't get him in the first six innings, they were going to bring Diego Castillo in probably around the seventh. You were mm-hmm. going to get Nick Anderson in the eighth, and Pagan mm-hmm. was going to shut you down in the ninth. And I mean, they and you had Oliver played... Drake and Colin Poche. Yes, that, yes. That some role. And Chaz Rowe was Chaz was better Rowe. the second half of the season. That's right. So they they really uh, had a nice. I mean, the bullpen became a strength. They were the best. I think the last month, month and a half or so, probably in in the American League, if not baseball, and um, you know that that's what propelled them to a wild card, and then of course the divisional series against the Houston Astros, and he pitched he pitched well there. It, it was surprising to me because I guess I guess in some ways they have a lot of arms, right? That can that can pitch the ninth inning, but we all know, and I talked to him about this. You know, there's something about getting the twenty seventh out. I mean, it really is different, you know. Um, you you can't back down, and um, you know it's uh, typically you're going to be facing the meat of the order. That's why they have you out there, and um, you know he he had he has the mentality, if not the stuff. I mean, his stuff got better. I was looking at some next gen stats where you know he increases velocity on his fastball by almost a you know a mile and a half an hour, and his cutter uh, he threw uh, a lot more. Uh, whether you call it a slider or a cutter, and that that was a real swing and miss pitch. You got a lot of strikeouts on it. He gave up a lot of home runs. That's the one thing um, that you can say, especially early uh, when he you know when he first came up. Um, you know that Pagan was giving up some home runs, but you know he he was their de facto closer. I mean, he had twenty saves, and so I guess that they expect a bounce back season maybe from Alvarado. I think Nick Anderson could be that ninth inning guy because he has wipeout strikeout stuff. Remember, he went on that long mm-hmm. streak where he struck out all those batters, and um, he's certainly capable of doing it now in his first full season with the Rays. I think Castillo so, is still the guy with the best stuff back there. Yeah, probably splitter and and yeah. the whole yeah fastball and, and yeah he. But again, it's a makeup. You know that. It's, if mm-hmm. it was just stuff, they've got guys. I mean, I don't think anybody throws harder than Alvarado. You know what I mean? I mean, mm-hmm. they got guys with un, unhittable stuff. But it's really about can you control your emotions? Can you throw strikes in those situations? And and quite mm-hmm. frankly, you can look throughout his career. There's always been some point in the season where Alvarado either had an injury or had to have a leave of absence. Something has always sort of derailed him. Um, so maybe it is Diego Castillo that they're, that they're targeting or just a group of guys, you know, they've always, and they look, they could still make a deal for a closer too. I mean, we're not, you know, we're still not to spring training yet with pitchers and catchers, although Mm -hmm. that's what days away. But, um, but what was surprising to me, Steve, is that they felt they needed another outfielder and not just an outfielder, but a defensive outfielder. And they've always been about run prevention, not accumulation. But, um, I didn't know anything about Manuel Margot until I started reading about him. And he sounds a lot like Kevin Kiermeyer to me. It it really does. And it starts to get you to wonder if there's not mm. another move at play, not necessarily this spring or even this season, but right. you know, have they found the heir apparent to, to Kevin Kiermeyer and, and possibly move him at some point? You know, whether and like I said, not saying anything's imminent, not saying that they have. They may want to see what they've they've gotten Manuel Margot first, but mm-hmm. knowing the Rays' way, you start to you, that's that's the first thought that creeps into your mind. It's crept into mind, and they, in fact, I think they knew that and went out of their way. When I was reading a story by Mark Topkin, mm-hmm. and you can read that on TampaBay.com, dot com, he he, the Rays had made it clear that hey, they don't, this is not about us 
you know, thinking a step a move ahead to trade Kevin Kiermaier, who wasn't at FanFest, by the way. Apparently, he had some conflict, some wedding or something that he needed to go to. He, he posted something on Instagram. Um, but, you know, it, it, they are a team, whether it's Chris Archer or, you know, I mean, they have traded away some really good prospects a year or two before you thought they would um, simply because that's when their value was the highest. And how much longer will Kiermaier's value be that high, you know? Um, so if, if this guy does prove to be uh, a place center field and um, we know they've got other outfielders as well. In fact, they have so much versatility out there. Um, I think everybody I talked to on on Saturday, you know, whether it was Joey Wendell or Brasso or whoever it was, is like, yeah, you played like four positions last year. You played like five positions last year. I mean, all those guys are so versatile um, by design. That's what the Rays want. Um, but you can always upgrade the outfitters, and, and they, they certainly, you know, did that this weekend. Um, but, yeah, it was a surprise to me and disappointing, too, because, I, I mean, I'm sure – Look, this is professional sports, and this is not the first time Emilia Pagan has been traded. I'm sure he's probably wondering, in one way, it's a compliment that that you know the Padres wanted him enough to give up um, a really good you know outfielder and, and a prospect. On the other hand, you know he's he's with his at least third team in three years and probably fourth team in four years, and you know you've got to learn your, your teammates again. You got to prove it to them. I mean, that's what no matter where you go in professional sports. Even Joe Montana talked about this on Super Bowl Sunday um, when they were discussing, you know, the possibility of Brady leaving. And, of course, he went from the 49ers to, you know, to Kansas City. He said it doesn't really matter what you've done. You could be, you know, you could have all the trophies, but they want you to be that guy for them. And that's what now Emilio Pagan has to go and, and um, you know, and, and, and learn a whole, you know, a whole new ball club and try to adjust. And uh, that's that's just the way it is, as, as Margot will have to do the same when he comes in here. But – wasn't something I expected, especially on that day, man. Could they have just let us play the interview? Could we have just <laughs> had a day? I mean, I mean, it was such a it was such a good interview too, and and maybe we'll play parts of it. He did he did get, and this does not change whoever he plays for. We did get into uh, with a lot of these guys, particularly Brent Honeywell, who you'll hear from uh, at some point, I'm sure, um, about the Astros, right, and about um, from a pitcher standpoint you know, what it means that somebody, and not just, you know, getting your signs the traditional way, right, where um, maybe they steal them from second base because they you get into a, a routine where you don't change them or the catcher's not protecting whatever. But we're talking about, of course, cheating here. Um, and I, I was not, I mean, it was interesting that none of these guys held back. You know, they were all very disappointed and, and, and felt personally affronted as pitchers. Um, that that may happen to them and cost them their livelihood and, um, you know, their arbitration or what, whatever whatever the case may be. And all of them universally said, you know, the Astros are way too good to have to do this. And, and I thought that that was interesting, too. Speaking of the Astros, of course, uh, for the first time really ever, uh, and, and, and in this spring in particular, Charlie Morton finally uh, sounded off and made himself available to talk about the Houston Astros, and he was a member of that World Series team. In fact, he pitched uh, Game Seven, right? Um, mm-hmm. And yeah. yep, he was on the mound when they the won one, it. Got the last out. So uh, no one, you know, probably. I mean, look, Charlie Morton got a thirty million dollar contract from the race for two years because of his success with the Houston Astros at an age when when a lot of pitchers probably wouldn't command that much money, uh, and. 
we didn't know what he was going to say. And it was interesting that, you know, even though there were cameras there, obviously, and, um, you know, a lot of people were, uh, a lot of media were attending the Rays Fan Fest, the, the Rays sort of wanted to do this without the cameras. They, I think they huddled the beat writers in particular around that. Look, he's going to be at his locker in Port Charlotte, you know, in his underwear in a few days. So I don't know how they're going to stop, you know, people from approaching him then. Maybe he'll just refer to to what he said on Saturday. But it was interesting that, you know, I, I'm, I mean, obviously he couldn't deny it. He obviously knew that there was something going on and in particular that, you know, they were, they were stealing signs and, the most contrition, I mean, that he had, and probably maybe the most contrition any Astros had so far was, he said, I wish I had done more to stop it, you know. But by the same token, he admitted that that's a tough thing to do when you're a member of a baseball team. That's that locker know? room culture that, yes, that you know, that so many are upset about Mike Fires going outside that culture and going right. to the media with the problem, not handling mm-hmm. it internally or you know, through baseball and that, but he, you know, went mm-hmm. public with it, which is what caused this investigation. Right. Um, you know, you're on a roster of 25 guys. It's know, family. It's, it's tough. Family. And, and yeah, you know, you wonder how much he knew early on in the, in the process. I mean, you know, I wonder when it started and how elaborate it got over time. Well, you know, he heard he's, the a, he's a pitcher, he, he, so he's, he heard you know, the beating of the, of the cans. Sure. I mean, that, that obviously, there's no way that you would hear that constant drumming and somebody would say, you know, just out of sheer annoyance, like, what the hell? Like, wh- who's banging on the damn, you know, garbage can or whatever? I mean, at some point, that if that was the way they communicated it, and they did, um, probably various ways, but at some point you would have had to have asked and found out. Sure. But you're right. You don't know, like, in particular, did he know which players were – were taking the signs and did he know, uh, you know, to what level that they were stealing them? Did he know it was videotaped, for example, or relayed? Um, you know, the weird thing is, have you read this story? I mean, about how the, how an intern came up with this idea. Yeah. It's crazy, right? That an organization would like go for this, that anybody would go for this within an organization, you know, so, it's, and, and, but you say it's crazy with it, but look at the end of the day, they want a championship. And that that's not taken away from them. I mean, people may say it's tainted or distorted it or whatever tainted, else, yeah. but yeah. but they're going I mean, they didn't vacate the championship, and nope. uh, you know, baseball doesn't hasn't done that. That you know, at the end of the day, whether you know steroids, call it that you know this scandal, whatever else is, it, it got them a victory. It got them a World Series ring, and we're gonna you know, presumably we're gonna find out about Boston's punishment. Maybe this week. I mean, I know that baseball wants to have that out by before spring training, which pitchers and catchers start reporting this week. So presumably right. you'd think they'd want to have it out. Now, if the investigation's not done, maybe it won't come out this week. But, you know, we're going to find out that what they did too, and, and they got a world championship out of it. So, you know, it's one of those, would you cheat to win it? I, I, I mean, now that you're found out, I don't – I mean – I mean, it lessens the it lessens whether they vacated it or not. Everybody knows they cheated to got to get mm-hmm. it, and I I just think that 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 so sullies it. And and you know, you'll hear from Brent Honeywell one day. We'll play his interview, but he was, um, he even brought up the whole steroid thing. He said, you know, I would much rather face a guy who's on the juice, right, and doesn't know what I'm throwing, and if he hits mm-hmm. it and hits it a mile, so be it. Um, but he said for somebody to know, you know, to have that information the way they obtained it, 
Um, he really thought that Major League Baseball didn't go far enough. I, it, you know, and, and, and you know, again, Brent hasn't played for two years, and um, he's trying to work his way back from Tommy John and, and an elbow injury after that. Um, and, and, you know, they're hoping by maybe May or June sometime he'll be back with them. Um, but he certainly has an opinion, and he's pretty pretty opinionated on social media about it. And, and he just said, you know, look, as a pitcher, I mean, that's like the worst thing, you know, you could have happen mm-hmm. to you that, that somebody would cheat to that extent. And it's bad for baseball. All of them agreed it was bad for baseball. All the ones that I talked to agreed that that the Houston Astros, in particular, they all said, you know what, those guys – I promise you, are so talented that they didn't need to do it, right? But then I thought immediately of, well, neither did Barry Bonds, and he did steroids, you know? Now, again, I'm not equating the two because I think one is definitely cheating as much or more than the other because we we don't know who was on all on steroids. It could have been way more players than we have ever would be able to prove, and, and Bonds didn't test positive, although – there's plenty of evidence that he was using it, but but is but it's interesting that well look baseball you know assuming that he did use it and I believe he was baseball knew course. he was yeah they didn't care the, the players union care. and the and the, the the teams didn't care because no, they were all they making a lot of money off they were all it was yeah I mean the home run race you know so I remember reading stories how it saved baseball with mm-hmm. Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire and all of those guys and everyone everyone knew that was going on they chose to turn a blind eye the whole the whole thing of baseball turned a blind eye because there were players on every team presumably doing it. But getting back to the Astros and one of the equation I was going to make with respect to steroids is that, that Barry Bonds was already largely considered the best player in baseball. If you read the books that were written about this situation, it was that, that Bonds didn't really appreciate um, that McGuire and Sosa, who were lesser players than him, far lesser players, mm-hmm. We're, we're getting all the attention as having, and it was basically a, oh, yeah, watch this. I mean, that, and so you, you think about the Astros and you go, but you guys don't need to do it. Oh, yeah, watch. <laughs> watch what we can do. And so, you know, it, you wouldn't think that the best players would be the ones out there trying to cut, you know, cut corners and try to figure a way out to cheat, but there you go. I mean, the Houston Astros are very talented and. They wanted to make damn sure that they won, uh, and with that advantage, they were able to to do just that. So, um, but anyway, Charlie Charlie Morton, I thought he was he he had some contrition, which was good. He owned it, right? He didn't try to say, eh, "I really, you know, I heard about it, but I really didn't know what it was about." I mean, he owned it, mm-hmm. and 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 he said that um, you know he understands how people may view him, may view. The Houston Astros down the road, um, how it how it's hurt baseball. I mean, he was, you know, he owned up to all of that stuff, um, and he said that he wished he'd have done more to stop it. But it, it does show um, that you know you're, you're in a you're in a clubhouse with 25 guys, and they do become like family to you. And the best teams are close, and no one's going to go outside the ranks and tell on their own family member. I mean, if you had a family member that was, you know, doing something illegal. You know, would you then turn them into the to the authorities? I mean, depending on whether it was hurting anybody else. Now, in this case, it obviously was you know hurting other teams, but um, those are difficult things to do. And you know, there's a certain groupthink mentality, and you just you know, again, Charlie was not a hitter; he was not participating necessarily in sign stealing, but he certainly was a beneficiary of it, being 
you know, a World Series pitcher. He definitely showed more contrition than the Astros players did at their. He has, and you know what? That's another thing that some guys brought up. Um, and and I think it bothers players to this day. And we'll see what the Astros say. Their first go around wasn't so good when they were having their little, you know, fan wagons or whatever. But um, we'll see what they say on the first day of spring training and the second day and so on because none of those players have really shown very much contrition, if at all, if any. And I and that from talking to other players with the Rays on Saturday, that bothered them. It, it bothered them that at the very minimal, that the players themselves wouldn't come out and say they're sorry, you know, mm-hmm. and say it was wrong, and and say that they shouldn't have done it. I mean, we're still waiting for for those you know sort of sentiments to come from the Astro players themselves. And you know, until we hear it, I don't think the other players are going to be satisfied. But. Um, but it, it was interesting talking to those guys about it, and like I said, I'm sure you'll hear from them as we go on, um, you know, throughout the next couple of weeks in the podcast and, and talking about the Rays, which are just about ready to open spring training. Baseball is here; it is here already. Yeah, but well, uh, I believe Thursday is the first day pitchers and catchers report at Port, Port Charlotte, and mm-hmm. next week we'll have the uh, first workouts as the players uh, come to town. And baseball, mm-hmm. March 26th, a very early opening. I think the earliest opening day ever for baseball. So yeah crazy crazy it's here i'm glad i love baseball and um well at least there's... for half a season it'll be here <laughs> well yeah well that's the other thing um look I, I we can talk and we will talk a lot about this montreal plan that that it appears Stuart sternberg is is not just him but the entire organization is wedded to and now actively trying to sell um and sell forcefully whether it's uh, through the media on radio wherever they can and, and frankly they've convinced rob manfred that this is the thing to do, that this will work, and, um, and baseball is behind this idea. And, and I'll give him credit. Stu was out there at Rays Fan Fest, and he got an earful because <laughs> I knew some people that, that were waiting to talk to him, and then I talked to uh, Mary Carrillo, some people that work for us. Um, I think John Romano was listening in on some of these conversations where they, they basically confronted Stu, you know, and about some of the comments that, that, that the Montreal people had made about St. Petersburg. Yeah, that, and, well, that wasn't a very good move by Stephen Bronfman. No, not at all. I mean, and you he know, apologized if you're for Stu, it. If you're of. Stu, you've got to be ticked at him. Oh, he was. I'm sure he's was probably behind the whole, uh, hey, let's put out a statement saying how sorry we are, at least in the Tampa Bay Times, um, you know, say as much that that was a, a mistake at best. I mean, first of all, if Montreal is such a great cosmopolitan city that all the wives are going to love better than Tampa Bay, how many Florida license plates are driving around up in Montreal every week? I'd like to see that because I know there's a whole hell of a lot of Canadian tags down mm-hmm. here. You know, so, I mean, I, I don't know. This guy, obviously, it was a big mistake and he misspoke and that's not going to help Stu at all. But, look. You're trying to create a sister as, city scenario. You need the cities to play nice, not yeah, to be Yeah, exactly. Trying you to don't trash say your other. sister's ugly. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I'm the pretty one. I mean, how does that work? You know? Um, yeah, that just that just didn't make any sense. And so, you know, Stewart's out there trying to sell it, and, and he's got a whole bunch of angry fans. And, and look, I'll just say it. I, I don't... Th- this seems whack to me. It may make sense in terms of, like, to TV markets, it may make sense um, for their overall attendance, perhaps. Um, you know, but at the end of the day, I don't think I don't think really any professional sport should share a team. I I, 
I just don't know how that works because I know how fans are. And, you know, Sternberg's whole thing is, well, the average fan comes to a Rays game two and a half times a year. So you could still go to your two and a half times and watch it on TV like you do anyway. But that's not really what it's about, you know. Um, there, is a, there is a community investment, whether you're at the game or not. And I, I think, you know, it's emotional, you know, and, and people give their hearts to teams. And, and there's a lot of things that have to be worked out, you know, not just the logistics of, you know, and the finances of who's building stadiums and how are you going to have the players union agree to this, living in two cities and all this other stuff. Um, but playoffs in particular, you know, um, who gets them, where are they going to play them? Uh, you know, all that stuff is important. And, and there's just so it, it is out of the box. And I know the Rays are that kind of an organization and, Sternberg insists this is the only way that Tampa Bay can have a baseball team. It's the only way they can, you know, they can't support, you know, half the season. So how about half the half the season? And I just, I just don't see it as a reasonable um, alternative. I, I still think that, you know, Tampa Bay, if, if that stadium is such an issue, and it appears to have been, that's the whole thing that, Sternberg has harped on really since he bought the franchise, then then that would that would reason that if you moved it to a more populated area, a better location, a better ballpark, um, that that might help you. Now, you know, Tampa Bay is growing in industry and in a lot of different ways. It's one of the fastest growing cities in the United States. Um, we may not have this corporate support for them now, but that's not to say that a TV market as big as this and and in, in the right place, a new stadium wouldn't work. Now, they tried for three years, you know, to talk to Hillsborough, and, then, of course, they had the Ybor City site. They couldn't get the financing. They ran out of time. Um, unfortunately, in the stadium game, and we've played both sides of it. We were on, you know, that side where, hey, the White Sox are coming. Oh, wait, on the deadline, the governor of Illinois moved the clock back an hour, and guess what? They built them a stadium. They passed it in the legislature. Oh, too bad, Tampa Bay. Same thing in Seattle. Same thing with the San Francisco Giants. So how do you get a stadium built? you got to be ready to move. I mean, you have to be out of here. And, and I know the Rays have, you know, they have a lease um, that's still years away. They, they say they'd have to know within a year or two from now uh, what they're going to do. Um, that's fine. But unfortunately, you know, whether it's the Bucks or any of those baseball teams I just mentioned, you don't get the best deal or you might not get any deal at all or maybe you don't really know um you know what's going to happen until or unless you know you're pulling out and this seems to be their plan um is to you know try to try to have the sister city thing and if that doesn't work maybe it's Montreal or maybe it's sold to another owner and 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 that person moves it but um i i just find it to be a really hard sell for Rays fans and and i will I don't know how long this will go on, um, but, you know, it, it just – the people that I talk to there at that fan fest, which I would think are some of their better fans, almost to a person were like, I don't, I don't – I'm not doing this. Like, I, like a couple of them said, it's almost like they don't want us to come. You know, it's almost like they're, you know, by saying all this and trying to sell this, they're trying to kill it you know, for Tampa Bay. They're trying to keep people from even coming to the games because they're so going to be so angry at them, um, you know, that they'll just stay away altogether. And then maybe that will be the end result. Or maybe, 
you know, it, the opposite will happen. But they have a good ball club, and they're going to be a team you're going to want to watch. So, you know, they've the, had good the teams The interesting before. thing, and, and this is what doesn't get talked about in this a lot, but the Rays' problems financially, aside from baseball's financial inequities, which every other sport shares revenue a lot more than baseball does, but the Rays' biggest issue is not the individual ticket holder in Tampa Bay. It's they don't have the business support. And and most of that is, I believe, because of location. That right. I do, too. Where the businesses that would buy blocks of tickets, groups of tickets, season tickets, suites, etc., right. are located in downtown Tampa or West Shore. They're not That's located right. in St. Petersburg. Mm-mm. And so in baseball, because of 81 games a summer, seven straight days in a row, you often have games yep. on these long homestands that – Location, location, location matters most in baseball. It matters in the NBA and hockey. Football, it doesn't because it's 10 Sundays a year. That's right. So football, you could put it anywhere and football's fine. But baseball more than any is location. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be curious how the corporate support that the Rays currently have, how that continues in the future. Right. And I think that's going to really tell what could happen with this team in the future. Well, yeah, and, and obviously they don't have a ton of it now, or they would have more tickets distributed, more tickets sold. And mm-hmm. and I don't, again, I think you're, you know, it's a, it's kind of a self fulfilling prophecy in a way. Um, I don't know that you're going to sell more corporate uh, suites, and it's true because I mean I know companies, and yeah, the Lightning have been good certainly for a nice long run here, um, but they have suites in both Raymond James. And an Emily, but not with the race. Now, why is that? Right? I mean, this is a team that wins 97 games. This is a franchise mm-hmm. that competes against the Red Sox and the Yankees who come here, um, you know, eight or nine times a year. Um, you know, so, you know, with all that going for them, why are so many of these companies that just I know about have suites in both Emily and Raymond James, but not at the Trop? I mean, there's got to be it's geography. There's got to be a reason for it. It's not, it's not that they're not a good franchise. Hell, yeah, it's a lot easier maybe to sell for the bucks because it's it's one event. But you know, you end up buying that suite and you have it for the whole year for all the events, right? The opportunity to buy tickets and whatnot. But they don't do it, and they don't do it at the drop. And so I don't know. I mean, you, I still come back to if they had a stadium in the right place. That's where we started this conversation with Stuart Sternberg. It evolved to, hey, let's find a way through this and we'll do the sister city thing. Um, that seems like a Hail Mary to me. But Well, and we still don't know to, what the players are going to agree to. And at the end of the day, no. if the players don't agree, it doesn't happen. It can't happen, right? So the question is, is what do the players want to make this work? Right. Well, and how much how much is in it for them? Well, that, I mean, that ultimately it's going to yeah. be what are, what are they going to get paid? You know, the players yeah. that are on the raise are going to, you know, Whatever contract you agree to, you get twenty percent more or something. You know, what, something. whatever whatever it is, or yeah. you know, the Rays are paying for your housing and my. You know, I I don't know, mm-hmm. but I mean, you know, there and those are details they have to work out. But right, you but know, they're big ones. Yeah. Th- that's the biggest one because ultimately the players, mm-hmm. if they say no, it doesn't happen. It doesn't matter what baseball wants or what right. baseball thinks they need. Yeah, you're right. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. 
So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Right. So over the weekend, uh, did you have a chance to catch in the XFL action? They debuted over the weekend. I saw a little bit. I, I saw about half of the Vipers game. Woof. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, I mean, on Saturday there were some. Mm-hmm. None of the games. None of the games were all that competitive. They were mostly blowouts, which probably didn't help their their product. Here's what I saw, uh, and we'll get to the Vipers in particular. Like a lot of spring leagues, or or mm-hmm. or these these non NFL leagues that have that have tried and failed. And of course, the best one, the one that that went the furthest, was the USFL. We can talk about that. And its demise was when they switched, tried to try to make compete head up with the NFL and then got mm-hmm. sued and, and all of that. But um I, I think I think they're useful. Mm-hmm. I don't know that look, I don't know that any of them are gonna work. I think the NFL I think for the NFL it would be beneficial if they worked, right? Because and I know this for a fact, I saw some things this weekend that the NFL should adopt right away, including the kickoffs. Mm-hmm. You know, they can absolutely you know the the XFL uh, found a way to put the return game back in the game, right? Without the risk of of as much injury of guys, you know, running down like Braveheart into each other from you know forty yards away, mm-hmm. as John Romano wrote. Um, I, I think that you know uh, it's weird. It's like the kicker kicks off from the thirty-five, but the 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 you know the cover team is yeah, five yards yeah you can't move until you can't the move caught. until the returner kicks the ball and you can't kick it out of the end zone so you have to force a return but um, those two lines of scrimmage if you will are only five yards apart you know they're they're mm-hmm. across the field standing five yards apart from the return team and so you lessen the collision right um, and and you force returns you put the return back into football which is an exciting play always has been. Um, but it takes the, the the higher risk of concussions out of it. So I like that rule. Um, I like some of the extra point rules that they got going, different different points to, you know, if you take it, you know, from the two-yard line, it's one point. From, what is it, like the five-yard line, it's the five, two points. It's two, yep. If you back up to the 10, it's, it's a three-pointer. And so, you know, you have a chance to come back in games. Um, there, there's a lot of things, including, and I don't know how the illegal feel about this, but I thought it was damn interesting. Um, look, they do it in hockey between periods, right? Which I always thought was fascinating. But the interviews during the game with players, mm-hmm. you know, um, you never get that in the NFL. You know, you never know what a guy thinks about a touchdown um, or something until after the game. And I thought it was fascinating to, um, you know, to see these guys, uh, you know, sort of talk about a play or how it evolved or. Um, you know, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And, of course, hearing the play calls come in yep. was interesting as well. Listening to the replay. Uh, the replay I, I really liked is seeing yeah. them going over the replay and explaining sure. you know, or talking about what they're watching and why yeah. they're deciding what they decide. I think that's huge. That was cool. It was transparent, and so the more transparency, I think fans would enjoy that. So, yeah, there's a lot of good ideas. Now, okay, the play itself, and this is the thing with all these leagues, I think ultimately – you know, it was nice on a lazy afternoon after mm-hmm. the Super Bowl to turn it on. I think most of those stadiums may have averaged around 17, barely over 17,000 in most of these games. You know, MetLife looked like an empty, cavernous stadium with no one in the upper deck. Um, and yet, uh, you know, you watch it. and Are there a few good players? Yeah. 
Um, they're playing against lesser competition, so you know they're, the good ones tend to stand out. But you know, from a quarterbacking standpoint and just just the overall product, the reason we watch the NFL is those guys are the best in the world. Mm-hmm. They just are. Well, and I think you're you have watching to decide, something less than that. Oh, you yeah, know? absolutely. But I think you have to decide what success is for this league too. I mean, if if you're if your determination of success is there's fifty five thousand people in every stadium every week, you're not. That's not going to happen. Yeah. If if your definition of success is it's going to get the same television ratings as the NFL, it's not going to mm-hmm. happen because right. you don't have the good players. You don't. You but know. they do have. They did have mm-hmm. four networks broadcasting their games, which is a Absolutely. huge bonus Absolutely. compared to some of the other leagues, which is why they went bankrupt. Right. But how long would these how long would these networks stay behind the league if they don't get ratings? Well, it all depends on what their deals are with the XFL. And, and right. look, on a Sunday in February after the Super Bowl is done, what's that airtime worth to the networks? And what else are they going right. to put on there? And, and, sure. and ultimately, look, these networks also know that you can get less ratings with live sports and get more money because right. people don't DVR and skip the commercials. So advertisers actually pay more money for sports even if there's less people watching mm-hmm. because – because sports is the one entity you will watch the commercials for because you will not tape delay it and go watch it two days later. Because it's live. That's right. Yeah. yeah. You, you, you know, hardcore fans may go back and watch it a second time two days they later. They it, yeah. But, I mean, you know, you want to watch sports live. That's what people do, and networks value that. So Absolutely. if they can get good ratings, you're not going to match NFL ratings, but they're not paying out billions of dollars for this product either. So, that's true. You know, you look at it, it's a, it's what are we cash flowing on this? How much are we spending? How much are we making? Yeah, they're going and, to go bankrupt. And right. what are alternatives, too? I mean, okay, we make X number of dollars on the XFL. Maybe it's not a ton, but our alternative on Sunday, February 9th at 2 p.m. in the afternoon is what? Right. There's not much. So, mm-hmm. you know, so... It's, it's all you know. I think you have to determine what success is. If somebody thinks it's going to be as big as the NFL, the answer is no. It will not be. Right now, what their business model is and and how it succeeds, that'll be interesting to see. I mean, you know, look, the AAF got off to raving reviews the first week, and it was bankrupt by what week eight. Yeah, and, I mean, and, and most I, of these this league's leagues... not going to do that because this league's better funded, has better network deals, right. and everything about it. But you know, it, it's it's can they sustain any momentum they have at this point? Right. And yet, you know, again, I go back to the play, right? Like um, the USFL, the reason I thought they were successful is they they signed some stars. They had Herschel Walker, mm-hmm. you know, they had, um, you know, Steve Young. They Jim had Kelly. They had Jim Kelly, Flutie, you know, I mean, uh, Doug Williams played for the Oklahoma Outlaws mm-hmm. after he left the Bucks. He was not with the Washington Redskins. He went to Oklahoma. Um, so you had you had known stars both out of college and pro. And, I mean, let's face it, the college, you know, system is already their minor leagues. Now, where I think it would help is the quarterback position because we've seen that when the league had their own league, the World League of American Football, and the Kurt Warners and Brad Johnsons came out of that. And they probably would not have ever been in a position to play in the NFL if they hadn't had that experience. And and there's only so many reps to go around, particularly with guys coming out of college now that never take a snap under center, et cetera. Um, but, you know, that's not to say that it was <laughs> – I mean, let's face it. How many quarterbacks are really out there, <laughs> okay? I mean, if each hey, team signed three About half them, the NFL teams are still looking for quarterbacks. I mean <laughs> – It's what I mean. <laughs> like, it's really, diff- it's really hard to find one. And – 
you know, it, it just doesn't stand to reason that there's enough. And, and, and I don't care what you say, you know, when you're, when you're talking about football, um, you know, it, it really is any level. It's about the quarterback. Now, look, I like Aaron Murray as a guy. <laughs> He's our own. I mean, went to plan high and he hasn't played a lot of football of late. But he was turning down throws that he that he that he had guys wide open, and um, you know he finished sixteen to thirty four for two hundred thirty one yards, two interceptions, and two fumbles. Even though he jumped on both of them, um, but Quentin Flowers played a little bit, but they wouldn't let him throw the ball. You know he he went in there and ran the spread option, and I, I thought that we were going to see our first benching, you know, in the XFL at halftime. Uh, actually, start, Flowers started the second half, but he was only in there for three or four plays till they got, then they, they got to like third and 11 and they put Murray in. It's like, Oh, thanks guy. You know, let me go out here and, and, and try to convert a third and 11 for you. Um, but it wasn't good. <laughs> it was, he was not good. And you know, again, you expect as they play more together, these teams didn't have a preseason. They had some non-contact scrimmages to get ready. You know, it really has been sort of a whirlwind for them all. Um, but I I still think there's a lot lacking, you know. I mean, if you're a football fan, you just want to turn it on and it's, you know, cool as football and we get to see, you know, the guys live out their dreams. I mean, I'm all for, you know, guys getting a chance to play professionally. I would be more curious NFL, or maybe interested is not the right word, but look, there's a whole slew of quarterbacks for the last five, six, seven years that don't get drafted, don't really get a fair shot because they're viewed as – running quarterbacks, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, there was Absolutely. a lot of knock on Lamar Jackson that way, Absolutely, um, you know, or oh, he's, you know, there was a lot of teams or you would hear that wouldn't touch him. Cause he can't, you know, he's a mm-hmm. running quarterback first. He, he can't throw the ball, you That's know, right. that I would think there's an opportunity for guys that are quarterbacks like a Quentin flowers type that exactly. went to the NFL, never got a shot at quarterback and they, they, they had him playing play running back position. or whatever mm-hmm. else that, yep. you know, that, this is a league where they could continue to work and, and build skill mm-hmm. and, and run that spread, but throw the ball more and, and kind of prove what they can do, you know, beyond their college years that, right. you know, but it's got to be teams that are willing to do that with a quarterback. Right. And I, and I think that the, I really do think that that sort of in between level between college, because let's face it, the college game is, you know, is has made its way into the NFL, and, and of course, the high school game. You know, everything comes up right to college, but it's it's really hard for the league um, to give enough reps to these guys. You know, even if you have three quarterbacks, your starter once the season starts, the only guy getting reps, mm-hmm. they can't develop them, and 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 colleges can't develop them. I mean, some of these guys, you know, Mitch Trubisky started one year at North Carolina, right? Now you have quarterbacks, if they don't start a year and they, they enroll at, you know, name the school and they're not the starter at Florida, then they, then they get in the transfer portal and they're going someplace else. Mm-hmm. You know, and they're lucky if they play one or two years of college football as a starter. You know, and so it's harder and harder to sort of project what a guy's going to do in the NFL when he hasn't played many college games. And so this would be a step between that that I think the league could really benefit mm-hmm. from, right? And well, the players could benefit from. And you and I have talked about this before, maybe more off the air than on the air, but and I don't have numbers in front of me, but look at the amount of quarterbacks in the NFL that are successful mm-hmm. that had less than four years of college. Not many. 
the best ones were all in, they didn't necessarily start for four years in college, and a lot but some of them were in college played, five years. Yeah, the more just time between high school and absolutely in the NFL, and the more exposure, and the more time in the in the film room. And yep. the quarterback's room in college and with those coaches and stuff before you get to the NFL. There's very yep. few quarterbacks that end up being very successful in the NFL. Maybe maybe none. I mean, right. you would put in the upper echelon that had less than four years of college. Well, and I, and I look at a guy like Dwayne Haskins. That's why I don't think mm-hmm. I would have drafted him. Because no. he, just, now he may develop into something, but it's going to take him longer. Because he only played really one year of college football. And... You look at okay, who are the best players right now? You know Russell Wilson. Well, he he played. He started both at North Carolina State and then and then as a fifth year senior transfer to Wisconsin. Yeah, he was at five there. years. Yeah, he was five years yeah. in college. So I mean, there are guys that you know. Aaron Rodgers played a couple mm-hmm. of years, of course, in junior, junior college, college and yep. two more years at Cal, and then you know sat the bench behind Brett Favre. And mm-hmm. you know, uh, I mean, you know, some of your better quarterbacks. Drew Brees um, was four years. Tom yeah. Brady was four years in college. I mean, you go through the exactly. top top echelon quarterbacks in the NFL. They played they, a lot of football. They all Peyton went Manning. Peyton Manning. They yeah. all went four years to college or more. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, and the, they played the, played the, a lot of those years. The Jameis Winston only had three years in college. Well, and that's and right. Quarterbacks like that, and, and you know they those kind of quarter the quarterbacks that have less than four years experience haven't been it's as difficult. successful in the NFL. And and right. And I, I think. I think there's a lot of reasons for it, and I don't think well, it's you just, just don't have the, the game year, experience. But, yeah. You just don't have the game experience. You, do, I mean, there is something to be said for playing in games, and whether that's at the at the college level or or the pro level, whatever. The more the more game situations you are, the different speed, all of that. You can you can look like a great quarterback for a year, and you can dominate. You know, maybe at that level, and, but but it's still only 16 games under your belt. You know, it's still not a lot of of runway um, before you get to the NFL, which is absolutely the hardest thing that you're asking an athlete to do is play quarterback in the National Football League. I just, I don't think there's a harder job. And so, you know, the more that they've been out there in every situation, um, the better they're going to be equipped to handle it. Not to say that they can't get that eventually, but like I said, it's it's, mm-hmm. it's a tougher road. Well, so. and we mentioned Aaron Rodgers. How much did he benefit not only of oh. know, junior college, then the college experience, and then sitting on the bench a couple of years? Patrick Mahomes, Listen, you know, went I, to Texas you Tech, and then he There's sat on the bench guy. for another year. There's your guy right there. The best, the face of the NFL now is Patrick Mahomes, who's sitting here with an NFL MVP, a Super Bowl MVP, fifty touchdowns, all of that, and for one whole year. And he he said it at the Super Bowl. If he said it once, he said it twenty five times. Listen, Alex Smith gave me so much as a rookie when mm-hmm. I didn't play. He let me in on so many things, you know, and taught me so much about this game that sitting that first year as a rookie, even though we know he's talented enough to go out there and do some things, mm-hmm. he could have done it after in his rookie year. But he he benefited from that. And that used to be the way it was. I mean, quarterbacks didn't come didn't matter who you were. You didn't come into this league and start right away. Um, and now of course the, you know, the pressure and to win and, you know, the coach's lifespan is about two years instead of three or four. And, um, you know, they have money invested in these guys and so much hype that they end up throwing them out there long before they're ready. And, and sometimes that, that destroys guys that might've had a better career. Had they, had they been given a chance to see how a game plan is put in, see how, um, adjustments are made. See, see the mistakes a guy makes. See how they correct them the next week, and sort of go through that from the side, as opposed to, you know, just being in the fire with a bad football team every time. So, 
I, I hope that I think this league will have a real benefit to the NFL, not just not just from a talent pool standpoint. And of course, you know, there's plenty of players that can play in this game, but also, um, like I said, the rules, you know, to be able to try some things, you know, let's look at the mm-hmm. kickoffs. Let's 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 look at what they're doing with the extra points. You know, let's let's improve this game, both from a, a safety standpoint and to, to continue to make it more competitive. Right. I still think the NFL, you know, it's the greatest players in the world, so it's the most competitive league there is in football, and that's why people watch it. They watch it for the entertainment. But, um, you know, it's uh, – I don't know. It, it Look, Hamilton was good, right, on Broadway. It was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. It was good when I saw it really good. I, I wasn't on, but I saw the traveling group that was, you know, here in Tampa, and I watched it, and I loved the play, and, and I thought the – you know, the actors were phenomenal and the music was unbelievable. It was Hamilton, but I bet it was better on Broadway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I mean, I just do. And so, um, you know, they're both really good plays, but um, different actors. So, yeah, it's uh, it was an interesting weekend. I, you know, again, it has a place because there are people that love football and they would love it 24 7, 365. And that's what the NFL tries to bring you even in the offseason. But, it was it filled a void you know february is a slow month and you know daytona's coming up there'll be some auto racing you know we'll get to march madness and we'll talk college basketball and um you know eventually football dominate again for the draft and so on and so forth but um but right now it's a nice time to, to sort of flip it on and watch at least as a casual fan but too bad for the vipers they uh they got off to a bad start finally Who's not off to a bad start? I mean, can well, they, they were play? off to a bad start of the season, but well, boy, they, they did, turned but it now around. They've, I mean, can can the Tampa Bay Lightning play any better right now as a hockey team? You know, I know they had a bunch of eight and nine game winning streaks last year, maybe a couple ten game winning streaks even. Um, I can't really recall. I can't remember Steve a team for twenty one games now. Is it they're like eighteen two and one? I think. Yeah, I think it's even better than that. I think it's a little it longer be, than that. The stretch, but um, but I'm telling you, I can't remember them playing this well and doing it on like two hundred feet. You know, like. Um, well, that's the have, thing. When you see the comments from the other players, and particularly there was a lot when they were on the West Coast when they went out to L.A. and Anaheim and San Jose, and, and those guys out there said that's a completely different Lightning team than last year. And, and last year, you know, they set records in one of the greatest regular seasons of all time and tied the wins Absolutely. record. And these mm-hmm. players are going, yeah, that's a much different team now. <laughs> I mean, you know, they see it. And, and you know, Nostra Thomas was correct that, that whether it was a hangover to start the season from last he year or Christmas, was it just trying to find, find their way. Mm-hmm. Um, you mm-hmm. know, I, I think that, you know, the, the decor was revamped a little bit. I think that was part of it. Um, yeah. Yep. You know, but it kind of seems like in, in – I could be off of uh, you know a week or two here, but remember the game Nikita Kucherov got benched. Yes, I do. And you know he pretty much gave up two goals in that game, and they lost the game. Um, mm-hmm. He didn't hustle back on one play, and the other one he was you know mm-hmm. dancing around the blue line when he shouldn't have, and it got picked yeah. and went the other way. And Cooper yep. benched him for the rest of the game. Yep. Since that point, it's been a different Nikita Kucherov, particularly both sides of the ice, but the whole team kind of has. You know, it, they've they've truly committed to playing a different style of hockey than last year. And this style, if history has any indication, plays much better in the playoffs than the style they played last year. Last year it was about I mean, outscoring everybody. They could play yeah, defense I, when they wanted to, but for the most part, they were looking to outscore you. They were looking to score five, six goals a game and, and outscore you. 
didn't always happen, but that's what they were trying to do. And, and Julian Breezewas talked about last year, there was a lot of games you left the rink going, how did we win that game? Right. You know, you looked at the style of play. This year, you're, there's more games that you're going, how did we lose that game? We played really mm-hmm. well. How did we lose that one, particularly early mm-hmm. in the season? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so it's, it's look, as I, I keep telling people, and it's, you know, you're not trying for the president's trophy because, you know, it didn't work out last year, but you're five points behind Boston now with two games in hand after they lost to the Red Wings on Sunday. And Boston's the top team in hockey. You're, you're the third best record right now. You're two points behind Washington, five behind Boston. That, you know, and the way you're playing right now, you're going, yeah, they could easily catch both those. I mean, you're a couple points back with 27 games to go. Yeah. You know, and, and like I said, that's not the end all goal. You know, I think if the Lightning win the President's Trophy and they're playing hockey the right way, they'll be happy about it. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, it's not their goal. That's not what their, you know, their goal is come April, what is it, uh, 8th or 9th, I think the playoffs are going to start this year. You know, that's what. You know, it's how they're playing on April eighth. That's when the playoffs start this year. How are they playing then? And but if if they're playing the way they have the last twenty five games, I like their chances a lot. Oh, they're gonna smoke some people, and they got they got to stay healthy. They got some defensemen down right now, of course, and you can't afford to lose Victor Hedman. That goes without saying. Andre Vasilevsky continues to add to his record, his points record now, eighteen games in a row. He's gotten at least one point. Sixteen zero and two in his last eighteen games, leading the <laughs> NHL in wins. Listen, he's the best goalie in the planet. Is is there a debate? I mean, he's the best one. I, I, I he won the trophy last year. He's you know what makes him so good? And the more you watch him, he doesn't give up rebounds. Mm-mm. He swallows pucks. Mm-hmm. Or mm-hmm. if he's swatting it away, it's way as he's not. He mm-hmm. doesn't give up many juicy rebounds. Like you mm-hmm. know, some goalies you can shoot at, and there's all kinds of rebounds. Whether you can get to him or not is a different story. Vasilevsky's so good with the rebounds, and he's seeing the puck very well right now. He made a save the other night where he could not have seen it, where he lost sight of it. There was a, a lot of people in the crease, and I don't know if you know the goal I'm talking about or the, the one he stopped. He just instinctively threw his skate up against the post, mm-hmm. and, and it hit. And, and he just kind of knew, i got to cover this, because he lost sight of the puck, and he threw his skate up against that post in a reflexive, you know, without-looking manner and made a stop. You know, just just made a stop right there, and like he does stuff that you're like, how did he? Like he has eyes in the back of his head, but he's so quick and and um, you know, and so sudden and such a big guy, but uh, never looks panicked. You know, he doesn't flail around. I mean, he's just mm-hmm. he's so on his game right now. It's incredible. And when he's playing like that, I mean, the Lightning know you know that um, their penalty kill is, is unbelievable yeah. right now. How about Anthony Sorelli? Did you see the, oh. the stop he made Saturday night on Matthew oh, Barzal, yeah. who won the fastest skater contest in the NHL All-Star game <laughs> this year? took it right off his stick and on the breakaway. And he lifted his stick from behind. It's, it's <laughs> it one of the most beautiful. beautiful defensive plays you'll ever see. It, yeah. What a play Sorelli made. For the fastest skater in the NHL. Yeah. yeah on but, a breakaway. I mean, textbook lifting a stick, pulling the puck, and sending mm-hmm. the puck down the other way. I mean, yeah. just got the puck out, yeah. Couldn't ask amazing. for a better, I mean, a better play out of him. And Sorelli is really the unsung hero on this team, too. I mean, oh, he, he is. He, I mean, I think Lightning fans realize how good he is. I don't think the rest of hockey does yet. It's kind of like the way Braden Point was a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Lightning fans knew how good he was. The rest of hockey didn't yet. But right. they're learning. Right. Hedman's still really good, too. Like, I watched oh. him. He was beat um, pretty good. Or, you know, he was, there was another breakaway. And, and just his length. 
like you think that he's beat, and then he he extends that arm and six foot six body mm-hmm. of his, and he just flicks pucks away Look, and just frustrates guys. You think Vasilevsky might be the best goalie in hockey? Hedman right. might be the best defenseman in hockey. Well, he's won that award too. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, you know, you may have on two of the positions, and Stamkos is second or third best shooter in hockey. Kucherov's the best Still? scorer, right? Best points guy. He might be the best creator. I mean, creator, you know, yeah, facilitator. Um, and maybe score, I mean. you know, um, I mean that's why this team is so good. Is they? I mean, yeah. the roster the roster is loaded with players. Yeah. I mean, you know, their biggest the the biggest problem the Lightning have right now is they've got seven top six forwards. Mm-hmm. So how do you how do you you know Tyler Johnson was in, sitting in the third or fourth line and and struggling. Now he's up in the top six. Now Kalorn's down at the third line and and he's not scoring all of a sudden. You know, it's mm-hmm. they've got s- seven top six forwards. And how mm-hmm. do you? How do you get them all on the same page at the same time? I mean, you know, the trade deadline's coming up in, uh, what are we, two, three weeks away from the trade deadline, I think? Two weeks away from the trade deadline? You know, um, they didn't make a move last year. Do you think that that would at all influence them so one I, way or the look, other? I think, I think they've got I, – I think there's two areas they could look to to improve at the trade deadline. Mm-hmm. I think it's you might look for a right-handed shot defenseman, and it may not be a top six. It may just be a backup. Right. But and, and it may depend on what McDonough and Ruda's injuries are right now too. I mean how how long they're going to be out for, um, you know? Because all of a sudden now you 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 know you're using you know uh, Luke Shen and Braden Coburn are in every game at this point because they're out, and you've got, called Cameron Gaunt up from from your minor league team. So you could look at defensemen to add. Um, although I think they're happy with their defensive core, but they may look for some depth. I, I wonder if they're they're comfortable going into the playoffs with a fourth line of Mitchell Stevens, Carter Verhage, and Yanni Gord. I get that. Although I will say that I thought Verhage and Stevens looked really mm-hmm. good the other night. Uh, and, 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 but I, and I'm not saying I'm not saying they're playing bad. I'm saying but could you get in, a little more experience? Are you on comfortable that, on that in the fourth line, line yeah. being that, or would you rather move one of those guys out for sure. the playoffs and bring sure. in a guy that has some more playoff experience? Maybe has a little more size and grit to him. A little sure. more, you know, uh, you know. I mean, to me, that's that's the biggest opportunity to upgrade on this team. And it's not that Mitchell Stevens or or Yanni. Although I don't think Yanni Gord's going. They're good young players, but, but the playoff is a different is a different animal. I don't think point. you want your fourth line that being your fourth line in the playoffs. I think you want yeah. you're going to need a little more grit, a little experience. more size, a little more experience on that line. I think that's what. I, I, to me, that's an opportunity. To upgrade and, and you know, look, the Lightning have cap issues too, so you're not looking to add a ton of cap space or, or salaries, right. and, and you're really not looking to add players for long term either, unless just they're, rent a guy. Know, yeah, yeah, you're looking mm-hmm. for rentals at that point. So, you know, someone on that, you know, whether you call it the third or fourth line, however you want to call it, um, right. to me, there's there's an opportunity there, and it's not that Stevens or Verhege have played poorly and and, and don't deserve a shot. It's eh, I think I want a little more on that fourth line going into the playoffs. Knowing that hockey is played differently at that time, and and to me, it's probably Carter Verhage wouldn't suit in at that point because Mitchell Stevens is doing well in faceoffs. And speaking of the Lightning, of course, they're in Columbus against the Blue Jackets, who of course swept them in the playoffs a year ago in the first round. Think they'll be a little motivated tonight. I gotta believe they will, and uh, they got something to to uh, a score to settle, if you will. It's not quite the postseason, but. Well, Columbus is playing really good hockey right now too. They're eight one one in their last ten, just like the Lightning. So, wow, 
Um, they're in third place in the, in, the, in the Metropolitan Division, but uh, rising fast as they're playing well. So it should be a good matchup. Yeah. And then the, this is a back-to-back, so it's at Columbus and at Pittsburgh. So um, those Two are, tough ones. Yeah, yeah, two of the top teams in the, in the Eastern Conference. So. Of course, they just beat Pittsburgh on Thursday night. We're going to talk to Diana Neros, who covers the Tampa Bay Lightning for the Tampa Bay Times later this week. And, of course, the Rays pitchers and catchers, they start up on Thursday at Port Charlotte. So baseball is here. Uh, tomorrow we'll have Chris Torello of Spectrum Sports 360 and Bay News 9. So lots planned for you this week. We hope you join us. We're here every Monday through Friday. And, um, boy, it's it's a fun time of year with, uh, with the lightning wrapping up, baseball starting, and can't get enough of the XFL. So for Steve Versnick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody. 